Welcome to Rome Alliance. At our church, we believe the gospel is good news for every aspect of our lives. Today's message will bring hope to your heartache, healing to your brokenness, and an opportunity to experience Christ's love and redeeming power. As a body of believers, Rome Alliance Church exists to glorify God, follow Jesus, and invite others to share in the hope, healing, and love of the gospel. to be continuing in the series you asked for, where you as a church, you as a congregation, also those who are watching online, you have sent in questions. And Pastor Bryce, myself, and a couple other people have been tackling these questions and kind of combining them to talk about them and answer them as best as we can. And so as we begin, does anyone know what this is above me on the screen? A sneaker. Thank you very much. You are correct. I, I appreciate your observation skills. This is a. <laughs> this is actually a shoe called the New Balance Toning Shoe. How many of you have ever heard of a toning shoe before? By a show of hands, anyone at all? You, that doesn't count. You practice. You hear me practice this yesterday. I'm just kidding. Well, a New Balance Toning Shoe was a special kind of shoe. And its big claim from the manufacturer was that it could help wearers, people who got the shoe, to burn more calories when you would run, when you use this type of shoe. And so, in 2010, for the first four months that it was out, $252 million were made from the shoe. That's how many people believed this to be true and bought the shoe. However, based on your response, you could probably already tell that this claim turned out to be false. The shoes are actually never proven to help you burn more calories. You actually just had to try harder yourself to burn more calories. And as a result, New Balance in, 20, in 2012 had to, had to file a, and pay a class action lawsuit of $2.3 million. How about this one? Does anyone know what this is? Gum, yes. This is Eclipse gum. How many of you have had Eclipse gum before? All right, so good amount. We got, we got a good amount of people. Well... If you notice on the label above this specific kind of Eclipse gum, you see that it says in the top, natural germ killer. Well, the Wrigley Company, the company that made this gum, claimed that scientifically, Eclipse gum for this specific kind with magnolia bark extract could kill germs that could cause bad breath. Many people also bought this specific kind of gum because at a show of hands, who wants to have bad breath? Anyone. Okay, Bryce raised his hand. Perfect. <laughs> Thankfully, he's up there, so no one else has to worry about it. Well, the claim, however, of, of killing germs that cause bad breath were also unfounded, even though it was claimed to be scientifically, and it was proved to be false. And so Wrigley, in 2010, agreed to pay between 6 and $7 million with a class action lawsuit and pay back people who have bought the gum. They also then made the, the smart decision of taking that label off of all, the, of all the, the gum boxes. I give you these two examples because there are things like these two pictures that you just saw in the Christian faith that people believe to be true, but yet aren't really in the Bible. Or maybe they're unsure if it's in the Bible or not, but they've heard that it is. As we continue our You Asked For It series this morning, we're going to be answering a couple of questions that you have sent in. And these questions, although they are different, are very different, actually, 
they have this common theme of hearing and believing that something, believing something that may or may not be true when it comes to Christianity. And so because of this, I, co- I combined the themes of these questions into one big question where we will tackle the ones you sent in, and it is this one. Is it really in the Bible? We're going to look this morning and see if these statements that you have asked in the questions are really in Scripture, or maybe they aren't. However, before we answer these questions, before we jump into this, there is a big idea and there's a framework that I want to set, up, set us up with this morning and I want us to take home as we answer this question, is it really in the Bible? And it comes from the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles with you, if you're watching online, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a phone or if it has an app for that, we can go to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and we will be reading verses 10 through 12. I also, ha- I also have the verses on the screen as well if you want to follow along that way. In this passage, Paul, in Acts, along with Silas, has set out on his second missionary journey, and the believers have sent him to the city called Berea. And we now arrive to verse 10 of chapter 17 of Acts. And it says this. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek and women. And so let me ask you this question. What did the Bereans do whenever Paul preached to them about the Bible? Exactly. Can you say it again? Exactly. They searched the scriptures. They went back in the Bible to see if, Paul, if what Paul said was true. This is the big idea and framework that I want us to take home with as we take a look at these questions that you have sent in. To search the scriptures themselves, to read the Bible on your own, to see if what you hear is true. We are called as believers to search the Bible ourselves to find the answer. It's not that we can't trust someone when they talk about something in the Bible. But as we see here in this passage, we have a responsibility to look for it and test it ourselves. Let's just think about this for a second. Let's go take a look at the Bereans in this passage. The Bereans did this with Paul. This is Paul we're talking about here. If we were able to, and we're not, by the way, But if we were able to give Paul the title of super-Christian, it would be him. God used Paul in so many amazing and miraculous ways, one of them being that he wrote many books of the New Testament of which which we have today. And yet the Bereans themselves still went back to the scriptures to test what Paul was saying. It's not because they distrusted Paul at all or they thought that Paul was wrong, But they wanted to build their faith and knowledge of God on their own. They wanted to see themselves if what they heard was true. How many of you have heard someone say, I know it's true because that's what I learned in church? Or I know this to be true because my friend says that. Or how many of of my show of hands have heard you say, Oh, I know it's true because I saw it on YouTube or social media. Have any, has any of you ever heard someone say that before? I know that I have. 
The problem here is not, let me, let me say this, the problem here isn't listening to other people and hearing what other people have to say, but the problem is, is that when we have that to be true and we begin to believe that and make that the final say, rather than what the Bible says. What should be said is this, I know this to be true, I know it's true, because that's what the Bible says. I know it's true, I've heard this, and I know it's true because I have read it in the Bible myself, and I see that's what it says. The scriptures should have the final say when it comes to anything that we hear about Christianity. Searching the scriptures ourselves to see if what we hear is true. With that, framework of, with that framework in mind of searching the scriptures ourselves to see if what we hear is true, let's jump into the questions that you as a church have asked together about whether certain things in the Bible or not. Here are the three questions that we will tackle this morning. Number one, are some sins worse than others? Number two, does God listen to non-believers? And number three, is birth control a sin? These are the three questions that we will tackle with. We will then go search through the Bible. And so let's begin with the first one. Are some sins worse than others? There are two important things to think about when answering this. We see the first one if we search through, if we search through the Scripture, if we go to the Bible for truth on this. And in doing so, we come to James chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, which says this. For the person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. As we read this passage in the Bible... The first thing to think about when answering the question, are some, sins, are some sins worse than others? The first thing we have to think about is that all sin is equal in the eyes of God. All sin is equal, and why, why is it equal? Well, because all sin, regardless of what it is, separates us from him forever. All sin has separated us from the, forever. We also see that if we search in the Bible and come to Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and all have fallen, which means that sin, everyone has been separated from God from sin. It doesn't matter what sin it is, whether we lie, whether we have stolen something, or whether it's anything like murdering or adultery, all sin separates us from God. And so in that sense, no sin is worse than others. There is, however, another important thing to think about as well when it comes to this question. All sin is equal in the eyes of God, but the earthly consequences of sin are different. What do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is that the consequences of telling a lie to someone are different than the consequences if someone was to murder someone. There are different consequences on this earth for gossiping about someone than if someone wants to steal. Both are wrong, and both are sin. Both have separated us from God. But the consequences here on this earth, they play out here differently. 
And so in that sense, yes, there are sins that are worse than others. Not in their view before God, but the earthly result that follows. As I was researching this question and taking a look at it, there's a common argument for the, re, the, the kind of the backbone behind why some people may, may seem that some sins are worse than others. And it comes from the passage of John, 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 through 7, which reads this. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there, but there is a sin that leads to death and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. This passage right here has been interpreted many different ways over the past 2,000 years. In fact, many denominations and many different scholars have arrived at different caps when it comes to this idea of sin that leads to death. Pastor Bryce and myself, I have permission to say this, by the way, Pastor Bryce and myself are wrestling a lot with this passage. And so let's pull back from this passage to show a larger spirit and theme of this passage that we believe John is getting at. What we believe is that what John is saying is that we can be a believer but live a lifestyle in sin, which is like living like a non-believer that leads to death. Jesus says in John 10.10 that he came to give us life in life in the fullest. And as believers, we are called to live in that new life that he has given us. When we don't, when we live in a life of sin, of knowing an unrepentant sin, we are living a lifestyle in sin, and the spiritual consequences that follow afterward show that very thing, whether that would be the guilt that someone may feel, or the shame that someone may feel when they're living in this lifestyle, or maybe the, way that, maybe the result that follows from someone living in this lifestyle of sin is that there's a, loss or a death of, there's a loss or death of a relationship. When we live in this life of sin, we are living a life pointed toward the very thing that Christ died for. We don't believe that this has to do with the idea that some sins are worse than others because as we have just talked about and as we found in searching the Bible, we see that all sin leads to all sin has separated us from God forever, and it says, for the wages of sin is death. And so, without faith in Jesus, all sin has separated us from forever. If anything is the worst part, that is the worst part. That we choose to live in sin as a believer rather than the life and the forgiveness that Jesus has freely given to us who believe. We are living a life pointed to the very thing Christ died for. How's everyone doing? That was just the first question. Let's jump right in to question number two. Does God listen to non-believers? The short answer is that yes, he does. The longer answer is what happens when we search in the Bible. And if we do so, we see a couple examples in Scripture. And the first comes from Acts chapter 10. In this passage, we are introduced to a centurion named Cornelius. Has anyone ever heard the name Cornelius before? Okay. Cornelius was a Gentile who was an unbeliever. And in this chapter, we see his conversion to God through Peter. Peter shows up to meet Cornelius, 
And, and at verse 30, Peter arrives, and this is what happens. It reads in verse 30, Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house about the same time. Three o'clock afternoon, suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who wasn't a believer at the time, had his prayer answered by God. And if we go to the end of that chapter, we see that Cornelius, along with all who were there, were listening to Peter, prayed a prayer of repentance, and they were saved, and they were baptized. So that's one example. There's also the story of the thief on the cross in Luke 23. He calls out to Jesus, asking and praying for Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, and Jesus answered him, saying, Today you will be with me in paradise. And finally, there's also the story of every single one of us in this room sitting here in general. All of us here were non-believers at some point. We were not in relationship with God. We were sinning and separated from him. But through a prayer of repentance, God listened to our prayers, and now we are in relationship with him once again. John 3.16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God listens to all, he is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. He knows our thoughts before we even know them, as it says in Psalm 139. The whole point of the gospel was to bring access to God to everyone, everyone once again, because we were separated from him forever. And so if he didn't listen to non-believers when they prayed, None of us would be here in this church on this morning. The church would not have been built. We wouldn't be here in 2022 if God didn't listen to us when we were non-believers. When it comes to prayer, however, there's something important to know as well. When it comes to prayer, God answers them in order to bring people to him and to bring people into relationship with him through repentance. As I was preparing this sermon, I found the testimony of Jerry Ballone, on CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network's website. Jerry Ballone grew up with a childhood in which he moved constantly from place to place. In fact, in his testimony, excuse me, it said that animals were his only friends. I didn't have any human friends. On top of that, not only did he move from place to place, he was often abused. And it resulted in him getting very angry at people, and he ended up turning to a life of crime and theft and murder and being put in prison. In prison, he sought therapy and education to try and get out of prison. But time and time again, even though he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, his parole requests were continually denied. And so he was very upset, and he continually blamed God, and he didn't know if the situation was ever going to change. This, however, is where the story turns to the better. Check out this clip from the video showing what happens next. frustrated, so angry that I had done everything that had been required of me, 50 times more than required of me. Jerry was disappointed. 
but found hope in a letter from his pen pals, some Dominican nuns. Even though Jerry was agnostic, these nuns became his good friends over the years through their letters. And the first thing I wanted to do when I didn't make the board is blame God. But the nuns said, well, maybe you need to ask God. And that was the turning point. And I said, Jerry, it's time to try something new. For the first time, Jerry surrendered his life to Christ and learned about the freedom that comes with forgiveness. I was still holding on to a lot of pain and anger and bitterness for those people, my mother included, for what had happened to me as a child. The first time was forgiven all of those who had done me wrong. And then they sent me some literature on forgiving myself. It was very, very difficult because I would always go back because I had to reflect on what I had done to my victims. It didn't happen overnight, but I did. I gradually worked it out and and it's like, once I did it, it was like taking a shower after doing a dirty project. It's just like all the dirt came off of me, and, and it's been, since then, it's just been an amazing journey. Did you catch that last thing that he said right before the video ended? That, to me, was a very powerful statement. He said, it felt like taking a shower after doing a dirty project. All of the dirt came off. When I first heard that line, it reminded me of how Jesus through the cross made us white as snow. He washes our sin, washes our dirt away. Jerry was an unbeliever. In fact, he was actually very angry at God, and he blamed God for a lot of what happened in his life. And yet, in a moment of him being broken and wanting to try and do something different, he reached out to God for help. And he prayed to God. He was a non-believer, and God answered his prayer, and it led to his salvation. His life had been forever changed because God listened to him, and now Jerry is a part of the family of Christ. God listens to both believers and non-believers to lead them ultimately back to him. For us, with our prayers... Are we sincere in our prayers? Are we just treating God like a genie where we just give him requests and expect him to fulfill them with no questions asked? Are we actually seeking God, seeking him in our prayers so we want to be ultimately led back to him and continue to grow in relationship and fellowship? He continually listens and he is all-knowing. And yes, he does listen to non-believers. Now we come to the third and final question. Is birth control a sin? Is birth control a sin? This question is one in where there is no direct verse in Scripture that says birth control is or birth control isn't a sin. Therefore, because of that, this question can then be categorized, along with others, into what is known in Christianity as a Christian liberty. This idea comes from Paul in Romans 14, and what it means is that for activities and for practices that aren't directly expressed in the Bible, Christians have the liberty or freedom to do or to not do them based on personal conviction. Because of this then, that doesn't mean that we want to answer this question, we can't use the Bible, but it just means that we have to take a different approach to taking a look at this question. 
And so as we do so, there are three important things that I want us to think about that all become linked together, and it is this. Purpose, motive, and conviction. The purpose is the what. The what is it and what does it do? The motive is the why. Well, why are we doing it? What is our reasoning for doing it? And the conviction is the should I. Should I be doing this? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this okay or not okay for me to do? These three things are important as we take a look at this question. And so let's talk about purpose first. What then is the purpose of birth control? Well, there are, there are a couple of purposes. But the main and overarching purpose of birth control is to prevent pregnancy, also known as conception. This can be done through ways such as a pill or an implanted device or natural planning. The other purpose that birth control is used for is that women use birth control pills not to prevent conception, but actually rather for health benefits. Using these birth control pills, it helps with acne and another variety of women's health issues. Those are the purposes of birth control. But what about the motive? The why? Why would people want to use birth control? Well, there could be many reasons that people want to use birth control. For some, they want to use birth control because they want to wait to have kids until they are, they are in a more stable place in life financially with their spouse. I forgot how to say that for a second. For some, they want to take birth control because they want to enjoy being intimate with whoever they please without worrying about the consequences of their actions. For some, they are having some really bad health issues, and so taking those pills would help them with that. In fact, some of them may not even be being active sexually at all. There are so many motives behind birth control. The purpose and the motive. Now that we've talked about both of those, to kind of give it a framework to, as we think about this question, this is where the Christian liberty part comes in with the should I. And so I made a, char I made a chart in which we see different biblical perspectives and convictions to this question. Before we look at these convictions, just because someone may not have the same conviction as you does not mean that they are sinning. It just means that they have a different conviction. Since this is a Christian liberty with this question, there is the freedom to have different convictions. All that matters is that you search the Bible yourself, and then whatever conclusion you come to between you and God, you live your life in that way, following that conviction in a way that honors him, and as Colossians 3 says, gives him glory. So what is God saying to you in this moment? Let's take a look at those different examples and convictions. One conviction why someone would not want to use birth control is that the Bible talks about children being a gift from the Lord in Psalm 127. As well as the fact that the Bible talks about how we are called to give up control of our lives to him who has saved us in Romans 12.1 and Luke, 13, Luke 14, excuse me, 33. Therefore, because of these two things that they looked in the Bible, birth control, and their, birth control over this conviction goes against these two things, and so their conviction is no, they won't use it. Another conviction is that someone would also say no, they won't use it because of the fact that birth control, since it prevents conception, 
It promotes sexual immorality with people who aren't married because they won't have to worry about the consequences. For this conviction, however, this is actually where a line would be drawn because it would no longer be a Christian liberty issue. Because in this case, it's not talking about the actual decision of birth control, but it's talking about sexual immorality itself, which that is very clear in the Bible as an actual sin, and so therefore this would be wrong. Those are two convictions for why people won't use birth control. Let's take a look at two convictions why people would use birth control. One conviction is that the Bible talks about being good stewards, such as the passages 1 Peter 4.10 and 1 Timothy 5.8. Because of that then, this conviction says it's, it isn't wrong to be responsible and plan when a couple would be in a more stable and better place in their lives to try to have kids. The couple isn't saying no to children, but they are just being wise in the timing and the way in which they do try to have them. Another conviction for why people would use birth control is that they believe that procreation, having kids, isn't the only function or purpose of sex. Another purpose of sex is to cultivate, cultivate physical intimacy and enjoyment of one another for spouses. The entire book of Song of Solomon shares about this enjoyment between a husband and a wife. Paul also talks about this fulfillment and enjoyment in 1 Corinthians 7 when he encourages sexual intimacy to one another because when you're married, your body is not your own, but your spouse's. Therefore, for this conviction, birth control is used to further that type of intimacy with spouses. As we have been going through these convictions, as we have been talking about this question when it comes to purpose, when it comes to motive, what is God saying to you in this moment? What is God saying to you? Where is he speaking to you and leading you in regards to this question? The first two questions that we talked about have more of a direct answer in Scripture. We can look in the Bible and see a very clear picture and statement on how to answer these. This one, however, along with other questions you may have, or may have people ask, don't have a direct answer. It has more of a spirit in Scripture in which themes and ideas from passages can speak into it. This question right here is birth control of sin. is a question in which God has given us the liberty and the freedom to search and to come to a conviction that is led by him. And you can follow him and live for him in that conviction between you two and you two alone and not forcing that on anyone else because that's what you think. To be honest, what is God saying to you should be a question to ask ourselves in every single circumstance that comes in our mind. So what is God saying to you? Pastor Bryce talked about what would Jesus do? That's a question we should be asking in any circumstance, whether the answer is clear or not. As you wrestle with this, and as you go on later in this week, going back to that idea of searching the scriptures, how can you be Berean this week? Are there questions that you have or that someone else has that you can take to the Bible this week and search the scriptures and look for the answers yourself? And as you look for these answers, is it a question that has a very clear and a direct answer? Or is it more of a Christian liberty and God is ultimately calling you to him and drawing you to him in which you have the freedom to pursue him with a personal conviction? Whether it be either way, 
How can you this week be Berean? And how can you do all of this to be more like Jesus for the glory of God? Thanks for taking the time to listen. We pray you were equipped and inspired to reach out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ. To stay connected, like us on Facebook or join us on a Sunday morning here at Roman Lions Church.